Well, I'm Bob Dickey, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Leap Podcast. My guest today is my good friend, Vadim Belikov. Vadim lives in Moscow, Russia, and has been a serial entrepreneur since 1999 when the Ross Group was founded. Ross' main activity was the importation and distribution of fast-moving consumer goods, FMCG, throughout the entire Russian Federation, and it quickly became Russia's leader in brand sales. In recent years, the company has shifted its focus to provide real estate development and back-office solutions to medium-sized multinational companies doing business in Russia. Vadim is also the president of Uniland, a trading company that distributes a wide range of products to the consumers in the Urals. He's also a member of YPO and has won multiple awards to include Best Regional Learning Officer, Best Large Personal Event, and Best Overall Experience. Vadim has his Master of Arts from the Russian Academy of Economy and is a graduate of the London Business School and Harvard Business School. Since 2017, he has been working on a special passion project, the Not Alone app, which is an application for young people who feel alone, depressed, and struggle with anxiety. The app uses innovative and life-changing technology like an AI bot, online forums, and over 20 years of established clinical psychological experience to provide users with a variety of strategies to meaningfully connect and deepen healthy and positive self-awareness. Now, this is where I would normally say, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, so let's jump right in. But I actually want to take a moment to add my thoughts and some context to this conversation. This podcast has allowed me the opportunity to interview some incredible people with amazing backgrounds in unique locations all around the globe. Many of these are very close personal friends of mine. However, this interview was even more unique. Vadim was calling in from Moscow at the height of an open conflict where the Russian Federation is engaged in a special operation in Ukraine. I, on the other hand, am on the other side of the globe, and in many ways, due to my location and nationality, on the other side of this conflict. It was a bit unusual of a position to be in. As a former United States military officer in Knoxville, Tennessee, I was calling my good friend in Moscow, Russia, to talk about life, family, business, like we've done for many times for many years. This time, I was a little bit concerned about having this conversation. I was concerned about Vadim's safety. I asked him privately if he still wanted to do this. Would he be okay? Would he be safe? We have seen what happens to people in Russia who speak openly and may have different ideas or opinions not shared by the government. I had so many questions that I wanted to ask, and my apprehension and concern also might be because of some of the conversations I had had in the weeks and months leading up to this phone call on my end as well. This whole issue in the Ukraine was troubling me on multiple fronts. I watched as Western media and governments quickly came to very simplistic sound bites and narratives, and the public was supposed to just accept and parrot these back in conversations. I saw people paint with a really broad brush with statements like, the West is right, Russia is wrong, we're good, they're evil, without the willingness to talk about the nuance of the issue and ask if maybe there were other issues on both sides that needed to be addressed. I openly asked questions and debated some of my close military friends and officers that I served with and was met with almost disdain that I could even question the party line coming out of the Pentagon in Washington, almost as if I was un-American for asking a question or asking why we can't find an off-ramp to this conflict. Debating this issue 
and asking questions like, should we be concerned if this grows into a larger conflict seem like a logical question to raise. I saw politicians who were eager to get into this conflict and supply fighting and openly were not interested in finding resolutions. This seemed absolutely crazy to me. Where was the JFK of our generation trying to avoid this conflict and find a peaceful resolution? Some business leaders and politicians who knew the issues well and were students of history openly shared concerns, raised questions, and tried to force a public dialogue that this was not just about Russian aggression and the invasion of a peaceful country, but that NATO had crossed red lines and gone back on agreements that multiple U.S. administrations had given Russia. These administrations include the Reagan, Bush, and Clinton administrations, just to name a few. These all had been made to Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, mainly that NATO would not expand NATO further to the east, closer to Russia's borders. Then, over the next 30 years, NATO did just that at an alarming rate. Robert Kennedy Jr., running for president of the United States, gave interviews every chance he could about the mistakes the West had made that led up to Russia finally invading Ukraine. Some of these issues include the U.S. involvement in the revolution in Ukraine with U.S. politicians present in 2014, replacing a pro-Russian government with one that would be firmly controlled by the West. Watching leaders ask these questions and asking if the issue was maybe a bit more nuanced and complicated than it's all Russia's fault, led these leaders to be quickly dismissed as misguided, un-American, and sometimes unpatriotic. I know similar debates and disagreements in Russia have been met with similar and even worse consequences. I am not a Putin apologist. It is a well-known fact what he has done to people who speak out against him and dissidents who have spoken out against him and his administration. For example, one dissident who was seeking refuge in London had FSB agents secretly place the chemical agent Novichuk in his underwear, which ultimately led to his death. I mean, this is just savage. There are many issues on both sides to be upset about. What really upsets me today is that talking points and narratives seem to be issued from on high and it is expected that everyone will just parrot these lines and agenda without asking any questions in russia we have seen people protesting in the streets be arrested by the police and then disappeared in the west the silencing comes in different forms many of these issues that people want to discuss and have debate on obviously impact the lives of people across the globe most often we find the desires of those people, they just want to live in peace. They want to raise a family, enjoy life, make a difference in the world. And many times those simplistic desires are at odds with the agendas of those who are in temporary seats of power. I have found that most often people have far more in common than we have differences. And through friendships, dialogue, and respect, even complicated issues can be resolved. As I sit here this morning, it's hard to tell where the conflict in the Ukraine ends. I pray it does not continue to escalate, and I surely hope it does not become another 20-year war like the West just exited in the Middle East with disastrous consequences and little achieved. I am hoping for a modern-day JFK-style leader on both sides to display leadership and courage to find a resolution and bring this conflict to an end. In the midst of this, I know most citizens on both sides of this issue are great people. Friends, family, business partners, all wanting to live in peace and to take care of their communities and families. The friendship I share with Vadim is just one example. Two friends, dare I say brothers, who have done life together, been informed together, 
laughed and cried with each other as we've shared stories about our life and our family and our journeys. And on this morning, we once again talk as friends, hoping for better times. I'm pretty sure that if those who were elected by people like us did the same, we could find similar friendships and understanding. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. My Dean, my friend, it has been a while since we've been able to communicate, and I am so honored and happy to have you on the podcast this afternoon. I've got so many questions to ask you. There's a lot of things that are going on. Uh, But for our listeners from around the world uh, who are tuning in and and listening to this podcast, where are you calling in from today? Well, uh, you know, my business is in Moscow and actually part of my family is uh, I'm on second marriage now uh, living in Moscow. So basically, uh, uh, it's a challenging situation, you know, challenging situation for for me, for, for the family, for the whole country. And uh, the reason why I'm still in Moscow, actually, is my business is here. I cannot just take uh, my real estate or real estate I manage and move elsewhere. Yeah. Although I'm a big advocate of uh, peace efforts and uh, peace between Ukraine and Russia. Right. Well, I remember you, um, probably a few months ago, but it's actually longer than that, when the conflict in Ukraine uh, kicked off. YPO had a, a meeting with YPO members from all over the world, uh, got on a Zoom conference call to kind of talk about it. And there were members, you know, uh, YPO members that were in Russia that were giving, you know, insights of what was happening uh, behind the scenes. There were mem- YPO members that were in the Ukraine that were giving insights of what was happening on the ground there. And then we had various uh, politicians and thought leaders that were giving some insights of, you know, what do we think is unfolding? And uh, I really want to spend the next, uh, you know, few moments with you uh, today on this podcast just to get your insight and understanding what you're seeing, your perspective, uh, boots on the ground, if you want to use that terminology. Uh, Here you are, you're a business leader, businessman in Moscow. You have family in Moscow. You have family in London. We were just talking a few moments ago how it used to be a three-hour flight to be able to get from Moscow to London to see your kids. And now uh, that trip is much more arduous, maybe 15 plus hours as you're going through Turkey. But uh, you are a close friend of mine. You're a a classmate of mine. We're both YPO members. I greatly respect you. I've I've been able to uh, get to know you over the past decade. We've uh, spent time together in forum. I just letting you know that you're uh not only do i consider you a close and dear friend but i've watched how you've interacted with our classmates you have one of the most giving and kind souls that i've ever met you're so respected by all of our classmates loved and revered Uh, I, i know during the pandemic one of the things that you were so concerned about was having connection with people and you had your finger on the pulse that loneliness was really starting to take hold and people were struggling with that globally and you you stepped into that space and were providing uh comfort and aid and helping connect people during uh the global pandemic and so i just i want to say thank you for all that work that you've been doing not only for our classmates in the ypo community but the world as a whole and uh i want to kind of shut up now and listen to you so tell me first of all thank you for a long lasting and deep friendship i really admire you as a person and uh you know i learned a lot from you as 
everybody did at uh, HBS. And uh, thanks God, you know, we have people uh, like you there on the program. And uh, you made me inspired to actually graduate this year after long nine years of studies. And I guess it was uh, just rewarding experience. So thank you for being in the lead of the program. You made a remarkable job. Oh, thank you, my friend. Uh, just to address a little bit the mental health side. Yes, uh, um, it's probably, you know, and I'm happy, you know, to disclose that information that my uh, 20 years old daughter committed suicide five years ago. And, you know, then following her steps and her thoughts, uh, I created uh, two apps, one in the US and one in Russia called mm -hmm. Not Home. Basically, that's the social network where people supporting to each other by peer-to-peer -peer dialogue and uh, forum groups mm -hmm. uh, with moderation or just, you know, uh, as our YPO forum uh, community. And it's been rewarding because we managed to save a few lives. And uh, I believe, you know, whatever, whatever I can feel about uh, my daughter's Pass away. In a way, it's a start to something uh, bigger than herself and myself and whatever. So she's she's in heaven, but she's still saving lives and doing good. That's a true statement, my friend. And you've you continue to make a, a huge impact in all the various communities that you're participating in. So thank you, thank you for that. And I have family members and that deal with uh, mental health issues. I've got friends who have dealt with mental health issues. Uh, it, it continues to be, a, I think, a growing challenge post-pandemic. Uh, well, we could have a whole podcast on that in terms of you know, what are the causes, what are the reasons. It, it, it's such a, a great and deep need. I want to make sure to uh, put your, your apps in the show notes and a link to various resources that you have out there for people who are you know, dealing with uh, that and also family members who are trying to help and support people who are having those challenges. Do you see in in Russia, uh, has how has this, the conflict in Ukraine impacted people's daily lives? Do you, do you, is, is there a, has the stress level increased at all? Is there, is, is it, is it being talked about in the, on the streets? I mean, here in the West, you know, in the United States, it's, you know, frequently talked about in the news. We have podcasts that are talking about it. You have some people who are desperately trying to figure out how do we have an off-ramp? How do we end this conflict and bring peace? And there seems to be different circles of others who are like, they, they almost, here in the West, it feels like there's some who, um, I don't know, it's almost as if they're not wanting to end the conflict. I hate to say it that way. But I, I was literally on a YPO conference call the other day where a um, former three-star general in NATO was giving an update. And I was a little bit dismayed maybe about uh, some of the statements that he was making about the conflict. And I was like, wow, it does not feel like this individual is trying to off-ramp this conflict uh, like a JFK type of leader, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Sorry for being wordy here, but I'm just what, what what's happening in in Russia? What's the feeling and the sentiment? Um, look, I'll start probably with mental health and uh, like uh, anxiety and depression and uh, these things because actually I can uh, track uh, what's what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's pretty much the same uh, as with any 
cause of uh, depression or anxiety. People, our brain works uh, in a strange way. It's just trying to hide pain points and substitute that with something else. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the middle of uncertainty, you kind of react strongly on mm-hmm. on whatever. If we're talking about the war, like first few months, it was just overwhelming and people were uh, speaking up, not everybody, but many. And some went to jail for that. And uh, some actually were obliged to go to army, you know, mm-hmm. going to jail. So uh, that's what happened. But uh, all the time, brain works the way that, okay, it's some, something there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really touch me. Okay, I feel probably more anxiety than before. Will will become uncertain. Uh, quality of life is changing. Prices are increasing, and probably you know I haven't been able to pay my mortgage in uh, some months. But uh, the real cause the of the problem mm. is basically hidden. So. In our social app, we don't see people talking about uh, the war and what's related to that. It's now more kind of, you know, personal stuff. But at the same time, uh, I know a lot of psychologists and uh, their time is just uh, fully packed, you know, with uh, appointments. And I have a few whom I know personally and there are people with uh, post-traumatic stress disease coming to talk to them, you know. It's, Many, many people coming back wounded. Mm, I guess there are thousands of deaths, although we don't don't have uh, any proper statistics on that from officials. The last number officially stated was five and a half thousand uh, Russians been killed uh, back in, in September. That only five thousand Russians had been killed back in September. So okay. since then, there's no update, and I believe it was. Pretty kind of exaggerated to to the very bottom number, so uh, I don't believe it. Because at the same time, I heard there were like sixty thousand deaths from Ukrainians mm-hmm. uh, over that the time. So, and you know, uh, I, I'm just kind of striked and shocked that uh, many mothers and uh, families who got body of their kid in the coffin. Mm-hmm. They do not react. They are not on the streets. They are not protesting. They are not putting their voice. And uh, I, I don't know. I just can guess. Mm-hmm. That probably, you know, uh, families get uh, money, like hundred thousand uh, dollars for for that event. Mm-hmm. Let's say. And probably there is a clause if they start talking, then probably you know they'll have additional mm-hmm. consequences, uh, financial and. Maybe they can lose their freedom. So, so do you feel safe talking uh, about this conversation? I mean, I, I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee. You're in Moscow. We're talking about a ongoing war and conflict in Europe, the largest uh, conflict in Europe since World War II. Our two respective countries, although the United States is not actively involved in this war, we're uh, supporting right the the. Uh, I guess conflict or the the Ukraine government and fighters. So, in some respects, you, you and I are on opposite sides of the world, and so, and our countries are on opposite sides of this issue. And we're here. We are. We're talking on Zoom. Um, I can't imagine. Like go, go back, you know, uh, to World War II, right? I can't imagine an American sitting, you know, in Washington D.C. or New York 
talking with, you know, a Ger- their friend or a German citizen in Berlin, right, about, hey, what's going on, right? It's, a, it's really weird that we, with this technology, we're able to have these kind of conversations. But you, do you feel safe uh, being able to, you know, state your opinions and, you know, what you think's going on uh, as you sit there in Moscow? Look, uh, somebody should, at least, you know, uh, yeah. you, you know, I, I will not kind of probably uh, have a question of you. <laughs> You're a good interviewer, actually. So, yeah, but uh, honestly, when the war started and I've uh, been on a number of calls, actually, and gave my opinion, and uh, one of them would, would, was with HBS con- uh, community from YPO, the world. Mm-hmm. Kind of 800 people on the call and people were just texting me after after the call hey buddy you have to stop you have to kind of uh, go down and uh, you know not to speak up and probably you know just delete everything uh, what what you said or what you wrote because it's uh, can just you know you can end up in jail even now you know using the world what war mm-hmm. in Russia is basically illegible, you know, to do the freedom easily. So, but honestly, I have uh, friends in Ukraine and my family is actually partially in, uh, from Ukraine. Just before the war uh, in February 2022, February 1719, myself, my son, my daughter and my son's girlfriend, and she's Ukrainian, we were sitting in Edinburgh and uh, doing whiskey testing together. and. They kind of asked me, "You believe that uh, there can be a war between the countries?" And I would, all my naivety said, no, "No, I don't feel it." But at the same time, when the war started, and you know, all the events uh, started to popping up, and I have been regional chair for YPO Europe back then, and you know, being Russian and being in the lead of the region, it's uh, you need to take a stand, you need to take a decision, what you're going to do. I mean, one of the options was to step down and say, okay, sorry guys, I cannot make it because of my personal safety and so on. Mm -hmm. Or you can just basically, you know, do what you have to do. Take care of your members. On the first hand, about Ukrainian members, your situation was uh, completely, I would say, uh, drastic. there were bombs over Kiev and other cities, mm-hmm. and people were just running out from the country to save their families, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I could do, I could just get chapters, chairs of uh, Poland, Romania, Hungary, Germany, and activate them to just receive our members, you know, and their families in their houses. And half of the Ukrainian chapter was accommodated uh, thanks to this effort uh, abroad. And I wouldn't say that I'm proud of that, but I had to do this. And I guess sometimes uh, actions are much more important than just uh, talking. And uh, if I'll be jailed, not for what I'm talking about, I'll be jailed for what I've done. You know, I, I know that that first call that we had uh, as the conflict broke out and you were sharing what was happening, I too was getting text messages from our classmates and we were talking about your... Uh, strength and courage under fire, you know, sharing information. And, um, you know, we were, I think all of us were concerned for our friends 
uh, on both sides, right? We've got friends there in the Ukraine, and I think everybody wants to see uh, peace and stability in, in Europe. We want to see business grow and flourish. Uh, we want to see business leaders be able to grow their businesses and serve their communities. And, you know, that's that's what we want. It's unfortunate that we live in a world where, you know, conflict pops up and it's the, you know, the citizens and the people that, you know, pay the price when when this happens. So I, I appreciate your leadership uh, in Moscow and serving your community and and chatting with people and, and doing the best that you can to you know, continue to you know help people in need. That's always been, as I've known you, that's always been part of your heart and your, your willingness to serve and make a difference. How are how has life changed in the last you know year since you know this conflict has broken out? Uh, are you seeing a, a differences in life uh, in Moscow? Uh, uh, the businesses. I mean, I know we've seen a lot of American businesses that have left. We've heard about extremely draconian sanctions that have been levied not only on Russia but also on various leaders within Russia. Uh, are you having? Or do you have the ability to leave Russia and travel around Europe and into, into London and into the United States? I mean, just tell me how life is different. Okay. Well, sanctions made kind of multiple negative effect on uh, businesses and uh, people in general. And uh, actually, last uh, March 2022, I flew out from the country and uh, had a few meetings in Europe and then leadership meeting of YPO in Dallas. And suddenly you find yourself in the situation where that your credit cards uh, are not just simply are not working. Hmm. So, I mean, fortunately, YPO is a very strong community. And uh, back then, I was in Egypt, and a friend of mine just uh, gave me a you know, pail of cash, and uh, I could uh, continue my travel. So your, your credit cards just literally stopped working? Just, yeah, no. just MasterCard and uh, Visa just withdrew probably uh, March 9 or March 10 from the uh, Russian business. So all the uh, Russian countries are still working uh inside of russia but uh you cannot pay with them uh, elsewhere so so that's actually puts uh some pressure additional pressure that uh traveling became kind of nightmare and uh russian airlines are thought banned from traveling to many destinations now and so we don't have many uh direct flights from europe probably serbia the, the only destination where you can travel uh, with Serbian Airlines. And uh, if you want to do some, you know, European trip, it will last probably the same way for me as to go to Boston or Bangkok. Same same hours, you know, so. But uh, it's just like uh, cherry on the pie, in fact, because uh, for usual citizens, uh, it's not about travel, it's not about uh, their business, it's about uh, surviving. And mm. I see that uh, the um, inflation was uh, has tremendous effect with people buying locally, but everything more or less linked to uh, Western supply, whether it can be uh, food for animals or whatever. So Russia doesn't have everything you know to just take care of uh, its own economies mm -hmm. and that's been uh, kind of uh, 
difficult for many because uh, ruble uh, depreciated, then it got up, and then it's uh, back down again. So pre-war it was like 60, now it's around 75. At some point of time it was 120. And mm-hmm. people, of course, feel it because uh, importation is uh, still a big uh, chunk of the uh, what we have on our table. Uh, impossible to buy uh, any Western cars uh, in, uh, except Chinese and Koreans. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's challenging time, but I remember uh, one of the lectures uh, at HBS and uh, professor said that Russians uh, kind of in the dilemma of choosing be- between TV set and uh, refrigerator. So basically, if you have less in the refrigerator, but strong TV propaganda and so on, Russians would vote for TV. So unless the refrigerator becomes completely becomes completely empty, not the case. So I guess what uh, Western media is uh, referring to that Putin has majority support from uh, Russian citizen is actually accurate. People are cho- still choosing TV. Mm-hmm. So right now. Uh, the the basic supplies that people need to live and subsist are still there, but there's you know, inflation, um, maybe maybe some some challenges, but life seems to be going on somewhat as normal, um, but w- with you know, obvious challenges. And you're in Moscow, so do you get a sense of uh, the surrounding areas, uh, other parts of Russia, where life would be uh, similar to what you're experiencing in Moscow, or is it could could it be could it be different? Do you feel it is Moscow made more? In, uh, we've I've heard I'll just say this: I've heard that Moscow is being maybe a little bit more insulated, and maybe in other parts of the country, the issues could be maybe a little bit different. But I'm just curious: is that something that we're hearing in the West, or is that that accurate or inaccurate? Uh, it is actually because uh, uh, wages in the regions are simply like twice uh, less than in Moscow. And uh, okay, I mean, uh, real estate prices are basically st- st- stay untackled. Uh, when your food supply is uh, like 20, 30% more expensive, and you have like five, six hundred dollars a month of your salary, mm-hmm. uh, it hurts. It hurts. Uh, probably, you know, uh, you touched a little bit uh, on uh, Russian businesses, and uh, mm-hmm. I should also say a few things about being Russian and uh, how it felt, feels. Yeah, please. So, uh, I, I mean, in a way, if even you strongly oppose the war, you and that's basically put everybody in frustration. People were living uh, Moscow and Russia, trying to find second home somewhere else in Dubai, Cyprus, other countries. And in many destinations, uh, those people actually felt the same way. You feel being alienated. You just, people judge you on your passport, on your nationality. Mm-hmm. So the compliance uh, process in the banks became just nightmare on the West. So to pay for schooling of my kids, sometimes it takes like a couple of months to get money transferred and not because of Russian uh, position and Russian bank system, but because of compliance from uh, my my bank uh, over there. And same with Visa, same with uh, many other stuff, you know, and I guess it put lots of uh, frustration and pain into our heads. uh, Yeah, you're against, but... 
mm-hmm. somehow you feel like complete refugee mm-hmm. uh, with your Russian identity and uh, we judge not for our actions, not for our position, but for belonging to country which started the war. Yeah, well, um, I, I've never been in your particular situation so I, I, I can't say that I 100% understand it, but I, I, I feel like I do have empathy for you and the, and the, the plight that you're currently in. Um, and, it, and it is sad because I think a, a person should be judged by their character, by their actions, not by or not being painted with a broad brush because of actions by somebody outside their control. Uh, you know, and I, areas where I've, I've experienced that as a U.S. citizen, there are times where I've traveled abroad globally, uh, specifically in Europe, where if we've had some unpopular presidents in the United States that were not seen very favorably by uh, European countries. And I remember traveling to, you know, London and Switzerland and Italy and um having some very interesting conversations with people there who uh, were act very upset with me. Um, and it was because it's like, well, I don't like your president. I don't like what you guys are doing. I'm like, hold on a second. Uh, I, I'm not the president. <laughs> you know, I am a I'm a U.S. citizen. Actually, I may agree with you on some of these issues. Right. But, you know, please don't paint me with a broad brush just because. Right. But it, it it's unfortunate that that's how society is. Um, where, you know, people can get categorized and put into a box based on things that are completely outside their control. Um, do you have, so I, ha- I have uh, a great, a great deal of empathy for you. And uh, I know that that was, you know, something that you were talking about in our earlier conversations with our YPO friends and HBS community, um, explaining, you know, your positions. And uh, I, I could tell that there was a great deal of stress as you were, you know, navigating this difficult situation. Do, do you feel that, like the expat community, right? So uh, Russian expats around the world that are living in various locations, you, you, you're hearing from them that they're feeling kind of maybe ostracized by those local communities, whether they're living like in Cyprus or Greece or um, Latin America, Africa, it, 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 there's stress and strain for them as a expat community outside of Russia because of what's going on. Look, I not nothing uh, like that happening on the personal level. So people just accept you for what you are, for mm. who you are, actually, for not for what you are, and that's a big discovery because uh, I really thought that uh, it might be like. Somebody releasing a Russian uh, speech on the on the streets in London, and straight away you just get attacked. And, you know, people would be seeing you as uh, you know murder or whatever. And, but nothing like that happens. Mm-hmm. All the pain and all the uh, actions uh, against Russians are made by institutions, banks, uh, companies, uh, and. Uh, Russians allowed, for example, to buy only 300 euros worth of uh, goods uh, in the in the shops in, in, in Europe. So it's like maximum and it's uh, part of the part of how you, how you call it functions. Yes. Right. So, mm-hmm. the yeah. board, board. so on personal level, no, I mean, who were my friends before uh, the war? They're still my friends. Mm-hmm. 
I sense the same from people living in Turkey and uh, Dubai and other places. And it's a pity, you know, that uh, we're facing this situation, uh, which was just unimaginable, unimaginable, and uh, just besides uh, beyond our understanding. It's, uh, yeah. Would you like to hear about Russian businesses in Russia? How are they doing now? Yeah, let's let, let's go there. That's, that's a, a, a would be a great topic. And then I'd, I'd also like to hear about. Uh, I've got a couple questions regarding the, the 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 start of the conflict and viewpoints there, right? And you know what we feel, what what you feel, what does the Russian population feel? Were some of the trigger points that led to this? And you know, are we able to find an off ramp between our two countries? Uh, what what is the, the the word on the street on um, where peace could be found? You know how how what what is a a, a workable solution uh, from a from the Russian perspective on where there could be peace in an off ramp and so we can get into that you know maybe secondarily but I'll, I'll share that with you right now and if you want to go into business we can do that well whatever you prefer uh, okay let's just finish with business sites and uh, yeah. for you just to understand uh, better kind of actual environment in the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, as you mentioned, kind of probably half of uh, international companies left the country or on the way of living and closing the businesses. And actually, it's played uh, kind of very unbalanced uh, role for Russian businessmen. Mm -hmm. Basically, you have like three, uh, top three uh, market share leaders in the country living and you company number four and number five. So out of the blue you're just getting the major uh, market share in the country so your business is just pumping up like crazy so it's yeah. actually been good for some russian businesses all the comp all the global competition leaves and you are four or five and now you're number one and right. so it could be a huge boon for certain sectors exactly and uh, surprisingly enough i mean i have uh, still few expats living in russia and uh, managing being CEO of uh, international businesses. Mm -hmm. Actually, for them, it was a record high uh, year in terms of profit and uh, sales numbers. And they kind of rethinking of their position, position on the speed, how quickly they have to leave the country. Mm -hmm. It's been just an amazing year in terms of, uh, you know, profits, sales, everything. Mm -hmm. Zero marketing expenditure. So, your bottom line is just not uh, light green, but dark, dark green. <laughs> so that's what happens. Yeah. But for some Russian businesses, of course, you know, the uh, demand is changing and uh, probably about a million Russians are living abroad, those who are kind of wealthy and they're doing uh, like uh, they're spending most of the money on real estate and luxury goods and so on. So these sectors uh, would be in bigger trouble. And so that's basically, you know, the picture. So business is there and uh, business is uh, balancing, trying to accommodate whatever was before shipped from uh, US or elsewhere or Europe. Now coming from China, India or other places. So business goes just additional margins, additional prices uh, increasing, and that's it. So there's not, 
from, from your perspective, there isn't a a crisis, a business crisis within Russia that is w- would be putting pressure on the government in any way, shape, or form. Actually, businesses are performing quite well. Profits are up. Competition is down. Um, even with some of the the sanctions and things like that. It, Russia has enough trading partners, specifically with China and others, to be able to get raw materials and keep the economy going. Look, I never thought that uh, Russian economy would be that much resilient. Mm-hmm. It's, apparently, it's the case now. So, of course, uh, long term, uh, Russia will kind of degrade slowly in terms of technology, new kind of uh, products and so on. But it's not happening quickly. It's a long time process. So Microsoft, uh, IBM and others, uh, yeah, they left the country, but it will take years probably for Russia to have uh, uh, to fill this handicap on technology. It will matter, but it will matter not now. It will matter in the years to come. And that's for me was a great surprise. I didn't think that uh russian finance and uh, economy uh would tolerate with that so yeah it was actually a little bit surprising for me uh months after the conflict started i think there was a lot of predictions that the the, the ruble would be under enormous pressure and crisis and actually it strengthened dramatically and you know, it seemed like some of the moves that uh, Putin had taken uh, prior to the conflicts to try to insulate from maybe uh, sanctions that might be coming, right, um, had actually worked. And I, I was just actually, I was stunned at how well the, the Russian currency was doing. Are you able to speak into any of that, any insight on why? Yeah, and uh, look, uh, when the war started, of course, it was a shock. And Basically, everybody just went to buy dollars and euros, and that's why the exchange rate uh, just doubled within the first 10 days of, of war. Mm-hmm. But uh, to your comment on uh, Russian being prepared for uh, uh, possible sanctions, uh, I'm not, uh, I, I don't really agree with that. It's uh, 350, I guess, billions of Russian reserves were. Uh, somehow kept in uh, banks in Europe, Switzerland, US, and they got frozen. So if, let's say, they would be really preparing, they would probably make steps (laughs) well well before, yeah. Yeah. But uh, then what's actually happened, the central bank said, okay, let's uh, balance supply and demand. So importation is uh, under pressure and uh, some uh, beginning of uh, of the war, uh, importation uh, dropped down by seventy percent uh, in the first three months. So, country just didn't need so much, uh, that much currency. Currency and uh, who's buying currency? Mainly uh, Im- importers. So that's why they just didn't uh, do anything artificial. They kept supply and demand balanced. Mm-hmm. We saw that importation started to increase uh, by the end of the summer and on the fo- in the fall, and then the ruble just started to devalue back. There's no, uh, no magic there. 
Mm-hmm. What they did actually, they started to trade with uh, some neighboring countries and uh, local currencies like uh, China and India and so on. And again, it's put down uh, a bit of pressure on uh, dollar and euro. And uh, now on stock exchange, actually, trade Arimbeni is higher than in dollars. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So let, let's um, maybe pivot to the the, the conflict when it got started. I, I think both you and I are, have a similar position that we heard in the news, and there was you know some tensions. There were you know troops that were on the border. You know, I think it was classified as a you know military drill. The United States has military drills all over the you know the world, and you know we we heard that there were you know some tensions there. But I was my my theory when I was chatting with people like now nah, they're they're going to figure out you know our our politicians our our diplomats are going to figure out how to you know have peace. We're not going to have conflict. You know this is. Yeah, we're going to have pe- you know smart people sit down in a room. We're going to come to come to a resolution. We're going to come to an agreement. Uh, so I was shocked when hostilities broke out, and um, and I think you you said too you were you were surprised. There was a lot of the R- Russian people were surprised. Do you ha- have a sense on w- w- what is what is the the average man or woman on the street in Moscow, what's their understanding of how this all started and, and why and why it started? Is there a, a general sentiment of like the Russian people say, here's here's why this 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 conflict or hostility started? So as you said, you have like your source of information on the West and it's like one-sided traffic and same uh, happening here. Mm-hmm. Or if you would just stop somebody on the streets, uh, uh, you'll hear something like that, that uh, NATO was at our doors and if we wouldn't hit first, probably they would do it uh, before us and uh, the war would be on, not on Ukrainian territory, but on Russian territory. Mm-hmm. There were like lots of promises made, never got executed. And uh, so Russia had to uh, hit first. Mm-hmm. That's basically their understanding from Russian media. Reality is probably different, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, it's all about uh, personality of Mr. Putin. You probably many people aware of his background, being uh, and working in secret services for many years. So I guess his mindset is just you know conspiracy theory, and uh, what he actually admitted in the Russian TV that. Uh, he learned the lessons from Leningrad streets when he was a kid. If you've been kind of under threat, you start by hitting first. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And why it's happened, I mean, there are, there are lots of uh, articles about that. Probably I shouldn't repeat. But when you constantly repeat it that you're a bad, bad guy, you're a bad guy, you're kind of uh, evil. In the end, you, your last position is uh, being back by the wall where mm-hmm. you can just, uh, make another step back. Mm-hmm. And I guess his uh, decision was, okay, if I'm that bad, take it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about not just like uh, last few months, but probably uh, years since... 2008, when Putin was trying to get everybody at the same table and start uh, the kind of discussing the state of the uh, global community and world, and it's, it's not about hegemons, but everybody should be heard. Mm-hmm. 
gradually, you know, it just became old way uh, propaganda, which we heard during uh, Iron Curtain times of Soviet Union, US. Simple position. You just pick the enemy and you pick on him and you win your elections in, uh, in your country. Yeah. You need external enemy to, to be a strong leader. And that's what happened. And same on, uh, on the same sides, same happened in Russia. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember Trump elections uh, and actually probably had uh, never had this uh, understanding that Trump will win. Mm-hmm. So the media was against uh, Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and what she was talking about and that she treats Russia as a bad power and so on. So when Trump won and uh, all the media was saying that Trump is a great guy, amazing guy, he's a friend of Putin, saying good words on, on Putin, mm-hmm. they had to shit back, you know, from this uh, idea of uh, Trump being friend to Trump being enemy, right. and US being kind of playing big brother and uh, saying Russia what to do. Mm. Oh, so it's um, it's it's not uh, really kind of uh, direct, probably to your question, what uh, what the ideas behind of, uh, of uh, Putin starting the war, but I guess it gives you a little bit of glimpse on. Uh, how he could proceed all these events. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to hear uh, people's perspectives on what, you know, what they're, they're seeing, sensing, what they think um, about a particular issue. And uh, as you, you know, alluded to uh, a little bit earlier, said, hey, you know, truth is you know, probably somewhere in the middle. There's a, a lot of you know, differing opinions on this particular topic. And you know, here in the West, I've been listening to uh, two different camps talk about this issue. And there's uh, a group of people, uh, some politicians, business leaders, uh, who have openly been questioning some of the uh, steps that the West has had taken uh, post-1991, when um, you you had the former Soviet Union and in the bloc kind of dissolve, and and we had you know the, the new Russian Federation form right, and we I think it was President Clinton had made some promises to Yeltsin, if I'm not mistaken, that you know, NATO was not going to expand, and I think around that time um, R- Russia had you know been making overtures to Europe and wanting to join NATO and, you know, have stronger alliances and partnerships, which were rebuffed. And then slowly, so this is the argument, this is the point of view for a, a group of people. Yeah, and- that's actually started with Gorbachev and, uh, I guess, Bush mm-hmm. uh, uh, during the uh, Berlin Wall story. So there were talks uh, between them and uh, verbally. Gorbachev was promised that uh, NATO will not expand. But then NATO started yeah. you know, expanding eastward and um, to the point where now I'm not sure if you've uh, read the author, uh, Peter Zihan, but he gives some points about, you know, hey, there's certain Russia considers certain territories an existential threat to the homeland of Russia uh, on their on their borders. And so he explains that in great detail in a couple of his books on why the territories of say like the ukraine are you know so strategically of importance to russia 
And so these people, you know, people who are in this camp will, will argue these points and say, hey, there were promises made. And, you know, from the Russian people perspective, they might be asking, well, why does NATO continue to grow? Why does it need to continue to go eastward? And, you know, these were provocative steps that are, well, to your point a second ago, you said, you know, maybe pushing, you know, uh, Putin into a corner, or, you know, feeling like maybe he needed to, to strike first. Um, then there's others on the other side. I was uh, there was that uh, NATO commander uh, who was giving a talk uh, just this last week, and he had a different point of view, uh, as you might imagine. And his point of view was, uh, well, you know, people need to have freedom to decide, you know, where they want to ally, and um, if you know some of these former. Uh, territories of the Soviet Union wanted to join NATO, they ought to be able to have self-determination and join. And that there were, you know, conflicts in, say, Syria, where we had, you know, there were red red lines drawn in Syria and, you know, various things that were happening and maybe in Georgia and others where his opinion was where Russia had been an aggressor. Nobody had really, uh, you know, stood up and said no. And so finally, his point of view, finally, they had to like draw a red line in the Ukraine and we've got to like, you know, defend this territory. So you've got two radically different points of view on how this started and the reasons for it starting. And I'm sitting as a bystander, you know, saying, okay, well, how do we find, how do we find common ground to end it? Where, where, where is, where's the the common ground where two sides could get together and say, you know what, let's not continue this conflict. Where's the off ramp? Do you get a sense on like, I I hate to put you on the spot and say, well, which side's accurate or is truth in the middle or we give, but give me your perspective as a Russian citizen sitting there in Moscow, how you think and feel. I just want to, I want to understand how you process the information, you know, that's been put in front of you. Look, at SageBS, we had a course on uh, negotiation and there, there was a term, say, uh, which which is ZOPA, mm-hmm. ZOPA Possible Agreement. Mm-hmm. And nothing like that uh, now exists. So probably there was a window of negotiation opportunities uh, in the beginning of the war. Ukrainians were frightened, Russians were attacking very fast, and uh, Ukrainians were actually were eager to sign uh, peace agreements with annexation of uh, a few territories. Crimea being one of them, is that the key, key territory? Yeah, and there was a document actually negotiated, but not, by, but not signed by Ukrainians at the end. And that was the only uh, moment of time when it could finish quickly and uh, with less uh, damage uh, to do to the infrastructure and uh, less uh, people being killed. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's uh, just two different stands. So for Russia, for Putin, it's okay, give me the territories which I already took, uh, which actually by Russian constitutions institution already part of Russia. So I want to keep this and then we can negotiate a peace agreement and uh, stop the war. I guess for Zelensky, it's uh, just impossible agreement. Again, we were uh, on one of YP events with negotiator from Russian side with Ukraine. And he said that Zelensky is not the only uh, power-taking decision in Ukraine. It's also about Putin and uh, Russian propaganda calls Nazis, mm-hmm. Azov, uh, and US. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
if one of them is, uh, has not agreement to uh, what's been proposed, it will never happen. And I guess for Zelensky is to admit that uh, these territories are no, no longer Ukrainian uh, territory. Mm -hmm. Just a disaster as politician, as a country leader. And as for, uh, you know, the country future, it will just, uh, I would say, probably will sol solve uh, short-term issues. But Ukraine as, as a whole will be always feeling this uh, country uh, put down uh, on their knees and um, will never be able to get up from there. You, me being like uh, Ukraine president, president, I will just continue. Mm -hmm. continue. Obviously, to me, uh, there's no win on the battlefield for Ukraine. Uh, probably there is a chance for Russia to win if Russia wants to do that. Big reserves on the weapon and uh, people, manpower, and so on. So, if Russia will decide to win, it can. But what's the consequence of this? I mean, uh, you conquered the big territory with 40 million people who basically will hit you. Mm -hmm. How you can just, you know, onboard them? How you can live with them? How you, what you, you're gonna do? I mean, so I don't see any good scenario for any party in this conflict at all. Yeah. But I guess as uh, this Zopa doesn't exist, everybody is just playing same thing. You know, they just continue to fight and uh, continue killing each other before some event might happen, and then it will change the uh, current situation and balance, and will be a scientific discussion which is doesn't exist now. I remember that term, ZOPA, zone of possible agreement. So you're saying that early on there, there was an opportunity, there was a zone where there could have been some type of mediation, but you know where we're at right now, and this is what concerns me is, because um, I've been seeing this from um, where I'm sitting, my perspective, it's just like, man, it feels like Russia's going all in, Ukraine and the West is going all in. It doesn't, seem like there is this um a potential for mediation here because you know both sides you know you, you, I, I believe biden has made the statement president biden and um president Zelensky, it's like we're not giving up crimea right and then you know putin and the has said is it, oh no we're, we're this is russian territory and i mean it's like there doesn't seem like there's any willingness to have a discussion on oh, how, how do we off-ramp this and that i don't know that's just really really concerning for me some people it's, say it that feels like it's a total war right and total war in one area we've we've seen a total war in one area uh it's hard to contain that it ends up kind of spreading and you know that's how we got involved in world war ii because it just it started it, it spread the same with world war one and uh, many other conflicts uh, and i hope it won't be the case because it's going to be just disaster for the whole mankind everybody you know at the table have a nuclear weapon and mm -hmm. i hope it won't happen and our kids you know will inherit still the planet which probably when we started uh, our lives, uh, you and me, uh, we were hoping to give better future for our kids and better uh, 
understanding and never repeat the mistakes of our parents and grandparents. But yeah. here we are, we just giving to our kids lots of uncertainty, lots of uh, problems and conflict, which mm-hmm. if even it will stop, the Ukrainians and Russians most probably will never uh, you know, get together as friends. Well, let me ask you this question. I just want you to be able to go on the record with your feelings and statements on this. One of the the things that you know, you've uh, I've heard it discussed, especially by this general officer who was giving this presentation here recently, that you know an argument for why the, this conflict needed to uh, be vigorously defended by the West was that Russia has aims to. Uh, continue to take back all the previous territories, satellite states, countries, and reform. You know that, that that's that's what the is being says. Like well, Putin has a design of you know reforming you know the the former Soviet Union, and if we don't stop here, then it's going to be you know Poland's going to be next, and all these other territories and so forth, right? And there's smart people on the other side of that argument who's like, no, 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 hold on a second. That's not, that's never the case. They, they, they don't have designs. Do you, uh, on that particular motivation, do you have a sense from, I, I know you can't read the mind, obviously, of President Putin, but uh, of the Russian people, is like, is that plausible that that could potentially be a motivating factor? You're just like, Bob, that's ridiculous. There's, there's absolutely no way. Uh, look, I just can guess here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the Ukraine would be given up as easy as uh, Georgia and other places as Crimea. Then you know probably you, you feel that it's easy. You know you can do whatever, and uh, you'll never get uh, any strong response on your actions. So and it's just part of motivation to go forward. Mm-hmm. But I guess what what we're experiencing in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's no longer the agenda of uh, Russia and Putin to to continue. Mm-hmm. I guess the uh, situation is so complex and uh, complicated that it's already something which might end the political regime in Russia one day or another. Well, one of the the things that um, concerns me about the, this the particular uh, conflict is when when labels are any conflict right uh any disagreement is when there are labels of well this person is evil or this side is evil right and and a lot of times you see that we saw it in uh world war ii both sides were trying to paint the other side as these are the evil people right and when you do that it's really hard to come to a negotiation table and say, hey, let's figure out how we can have peace. Because you don't want to have peace um, with somebody or a side who you believe is evil. You want to have total domination and total win, right? And so you said earlier that, you know, um, Putin had been painted by the West and and seen as somebody who might be, you know, evil or a a bad person. And, you know, and both sides, right? We're hearing that. Yeah. yeah, and and Zelensky and uh, people in the Ukraine are being you know painted as well that they're Nazis and right and so for me when I look at a conflict like this where I find hope where where I see a possibility is when um, people like me and you can sit down and have a conversation and where uh, what I'm hopeful is that you know, our diplomats our politicians can come to the table and not see the other side as evil, 
but try to have empathy and try to see the world through their eyes, their perspectives and say, hey, what are their concerns? What are their needs? What are the issues that are important to them? And can I put myself in their shoes and you know, have empathy for their point of view? And then how can we see the best in the other person and then say, hey, let's Let's come to the table and, and and see each other as human beings. I, you know, one of the things I've always enjoyed about our uh, our class and uh, our classmates is that we have so many different. I mean, it's truly a melting pot of people from around the world, different ethnicities, different beliefs, different religions, vastly different experiences. But I always walk away from our class realizing that, regardless of all of our differences we actually have far more in common than we have differences. And I may have a different point of view. I may have a different worldview on a particular issue, but I've actually got a lot more in common with people in my class than I have differences. And I think that's what we, we need to get some people in a room who can see the, see the good and the humanity and the other person and, and, and come with open arms and be like, hey, let's, let's talk as opposed to who's right, who's wrong. And, you know, I'm going to just like, my side's just going to try to win hundred percent win. And I was just like, yeah, that it, I just, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. What do you think? Uh, you're opening another discussion, which uh, might take us for another 30, 30 minutes of uh, talks. Actually, uh, you don't see people uh, of size and uh, human values of uh, Nelson Mandela these days. Somebody who really can, uh, you know, sacrifice himself and uh, not uh, having this agenda of being re-elected no matter what, mm -hmm. uh, being populistic and, uh, you know, promise and then sometimes, and most of the times, not delivering. Mm -hmm. So uh, this would happen if we would have such caliber of uh, leaders with such mentality as you described uh, in in uh, in Russia and US and uh, other you know important uh, destinations uh, China India, I just don't believe that we don't we we have possible Nelson Mandela here. Mm -hmm. We're all about populism. We're all about staying in the power no matter what. Uh, about votes. About uh, getting uh, new elections uh, won. You know, so we not thinking, not us, but political leaders long term. We're not sometimes, uh, I guess, the value of human life is just zero. Cost mm -hmm. nothing for them. So one man take a decision to move his troops to neighboring country, which would lead to hundreds of thousands of deaths between civilians and uh, military. Can you justify of, uh, that you had a threat, you had this or that, uh, that uh, you've been painted by a big brush? Mm -hmm. It's just unimaginable. It's 21st century and we are actually acting as uh, what you all know, know Harari uh, explained in his, his book, Sapiens. Humans are the most dangerous and I would say dangerous animals on the planet mm -hmm. We're killing each other for not uh, kind of uh, food not for uh, means to survive but for ideology or something which you cannot touch money influence not for 
not for protecting even uh, your people. Mm -hmm. Send them to war. Yeah. Well, it's and sad. I, I hope we've done badly, our generation, that our kids will learn from these mistakes and people like Nelson Mandela and uh, other type of uh, human values will prevail on this planet. And it's another big topic, how we should uh, get there, what we need to, to put, uh, you know, as education, as core values of, of, of uh, our people, for leaders to, to be able to lead with these values and dignity and uh, passion and not with, you know, another agenda, more personal, more egoistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, I, I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, tell me if I'm accurate here, but I know for, uh, in the West, there are, it feels like talking points that are somewhat sanctioned and the approved talking points. Uh, and when you differ from these talking points, people are like, hold on a second, Bob, you're a former military officer. You served in the United States Air Force. And, you know, Russia for has been our adversary for, you know, seen as an adversary for, you know, these, these you know, during the Cold War and whatnot. And you're supposed to have this party line, right? You're supposed to be, you, these are the talking points that you should be having. And, and when and when people differ from some of these talking points, you 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 I, you can feel the backlash from that, right? And as a, a student of history, you know I've you know read and studied how um, countries will have certain points of view that it's like once conflicts or cer certain things happen, it's like this is how we want through the propaganda machines, right? This is how we want people to think and operate the things we want them to say uh because this is going to help us you know achieve these strategic objectives for this particular country united states china you know whoever the you know, case may be you know england uh, germany back in the day and, and even russia right so yeah. and i think that anytime you break when people break out of those narratives it, it, they feel that that pushback and um I'm hopeful. I, I know that you are a proud Russian. You love your country. Uh, you love your heritage. I'm a proud American. I love my country. I love our heritage. I love you know the history and things that you know we've accomplished. And we can both be proud citizens of our country and uh, love our country and love our people, and also still be patriotic and say, you know what? I love my brother halfway around the world. And one of the things that I, I commit to you is that as I'm sharing and talking with people I'm coming in contact with, uh, I'm not going to espouse the um, stereotypes and the narrative uh, that I think entities would want me to, but I'm going to share what I know about Russia, which is I know the Russian people, my classmates, my my YPO counterparts that I've uh, my friends in Russia that I have uh, made over the years, uh, you guys have been some of the most generous, loving, kind, incredible people. And when I think of Russia, that's what I think of. I think of you, and I think of our classmates. And I'm making sure that everybody that I come in contact with knows that. And I will. I'm going to fight the narrative um, that folks 
would want to try to espouse that I that I don't believe is true. And that puts me in an unpopular position. And I know I prob- you probably uh, feel the same way about our, our, cl- our classmates around the world. And But I, I think that's the way we make change. 100% agree with you, Bob. And uh, thank you for uh, your kind words and, uh, again, friendship and for everything you're doing to put, uh, you know, uh, something on the table to for us to discuss and make our own opinions on, uh, on the conflict. I believe that uh, iron curtains are built in our brains by propaganda. It's no longer physical walls, walls but uh, something in your brain uh, which kind of stands somewhere and puts you in the position to judge rather than uh, remember good uh, years of history and the war, like good 20 years when Russia and US were truly trying to collaborate and uh, partner mm-hmm. uh, from uh, mid of uh, 80s to beginning of uh, early 2000. And it was a perfect example for me. I mean, it's uh, future was, uh, I was young back then though, but uh, I, I felt a lots of, lots of hopes, lots of prosperity, lots of freedom and hope that we're getting to something different, to another level of uh, collaboration, to another level of uh, problems, which we, might face as uh, humans, you know. We would be just living all these uh, things, uh, confrontation and so on behind, and we'll focus on something more peaceful, on, uh, you know, doing uh, life of our people greater. But mm-hmm. in the end, you know, propaganda did their job, and we back to, to the roots. And I believe these are not the roots. Roots uh, to partner and to prosper and to to get bigger than uh, you know just uh, creating conflicts in order to get votes and uh, get additional influence and or protect your influence. So yeah, and pe- people like us were there at least probably not to uh, have a strong word and to m- make decisions, but we are kind of barometers of uh, what's going on. And if we start arguing, then Propaganda won. If we break our friendships, they won. Mm-hmm. But you need uh, good, healthy seeds for harvest to become to grow one day. Mm-hmm. I guess it's business people. It's people like you and me, and many people you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I hope we will be harvesting not on the different sides of sides of the world, but uh, the day will come. And we'll be able to hug each other personally. And yes. Our prayer is the conflict ends as quickly as possible and we can get back to rebuilding and uh, having positive impact in the world. And that we, you and I can see each other once again. Like you, like you said, we can give each other a big hug, share an incredible meal. Uh, I, I tell you what, one of my favorite things every single year that uh, y- you would come and we would have class together. You brought the best beluga caviar and, um, oh gosh, so some of the most incredible food. I was like, you are always so generous. And you just like bring a huge suitcase of the most exquisite caviars and uh, vodkas. And we, we, we certainly, you, you uh, taught us what it was like to be uh, a Russian, to celebrate Russian style. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs>
<laughs> so um for as we as we uh close up here i've got two more questions for you for for people who might be wanting to learn more uh you know maybe get different perspectives read uh accounts of maybe what's going on or to ha have a better understanding of maybe you know the russian people and some of the things that you guys are thinking about and discussing are there uh, places that they could go and read are there books that people could you know that you would recommend and say hey this was this is a great book that you know gives some insight or context on some of the the ways that we think and we believe and so forth well uh, first of all i guess uh, all the russian members of ipo uh, there to reach out and uh, you know get their point of view probably some of them will be different than mine mm -hmm. uh, but certainly it's like uh, part of the network which uh, should be used you know us as YPOs to uh, get knowledge uh, on the situation uh, reading during uh, this year at HBS Ravi Abdalal uh, made a case on Ukraine. Mm -hmm. so I really deeply admire him as a really balanced and thoughtful and uh, visionary uh, professor. Mm -hmm. So it's part A, part B, part C, and I guess uh, probably he's writing now part D, if not E already. Wow. So it gives you a lot of uh, underlining thoughts and uh, mise en place to, to this conflict uh, from medieval centuries to these days and how Ukraine was formed and, and so on. I'm happy to share with you. I don't know uh, if I'm breaking Harvard rules. But uh, <laughs> we will we'll put a link in the show notes where people can go and purchase that if they would like to get in-depth historical context. And Professor Abdullah is a savant. This individual, one of my favorite uh, Harvard Business School professors, and is deeply rooted uh, and understands Europe, specifically Russia, and his insights. I, I can't. You know, he's been amazing in the past. I can't wait to read this particular case of his. So to me, it's, again, very balanced and very thoughtful and very wise. Highly recommended. That's great. That's a great resource for anybody who wants to dig deep. And we'll put that link in the show notes where people can go out there and, and get that. Uh, all right. Final final question. I've been asking this of our, our classmates that are here in the U.S. and uh, even th those who I've interviewed in, in Canada. And, but I'm going to take a I think this is going to be extra meaningful for us at the moment but um, you as a russian citizen in moscow let's pretend that president biden has uh invited you to the white house and he is going to give you the microphone and allow you to address the american people the state a uh, state of the union address that's you know what we have here in the in the u.s um this has been the question, but I know it's, it's going to be maybe a little bit challenging for you because of everything that's going on. But let's pretend that that was happening. What would you say to the American people? Do you have a a, a message to, that you would want to share with the American people or what would be on your heart if you had that opportunity? Uh, well, uh, it's my actually favorite question to forum uh, uh, forums when I just like uh, meet people first you have a mic 30 minutes and you can address the whole world so probably uh, 
if I would speak to Americans, uh, the whole world would uh, hear that. And my message is actually uh, already was framed by you and uh, my strong beliefs in uh, different future for, for our kids and for us. And uh, there's not only, uh, you know, money as a super value in this world. We need empathy, we need uh, ins inspirational and serving leadership. Mm -hmm. We need people not to, you know, uh, play these games of politicians and uh, believe in uh, only common evil, but try to find these connections to build proper, better future where we think of, uh, you know, uh, intergalactic uh, flights and uh, go beyond of what we have now. And I believe that the war is... Uh, just something un unimaginable. It's something which we have to stop. Cost of life, and my life is nothing. Uh, if I would be there to, you know, sacrifice my life and to stop this war, I wouldn't even think for for, for a minute. Mm. So, unfortunately, I don't have uh, good answers and response how to do that. But I truly believe that uh, future is bright. And let's not use nuclear weapons, mm. no matter what. It's be just banned. Is, is that a, a concern for you? It is. It is. Um, it is. It is concern. And uh, we're all uh, getting to the age which, uh, where we process things differently, where we have less and less to lose. We think of, uh, you know, some people tend to think about the ego and not about uh, humanity mm -hmm. so um, i hope it's not the case and i hope it won't happen yeah, it's a concern when you have a red button uh, next to you sometimes you can get tempted and we start with mental health and suicides and unfortunately it's not the rare case you know again uh, sorry for getting back to that but after uh, uh, my daughter's uh, death Mm -hmm. I'm thinking a lot about uh, suicide and what leads to that. One shocking number, and it was 2014 article from uh, World Health Organization on suicide prevention. Mm. 800,000 deaths from suicide a year on the planet. So we shouldn't think of uh, mental health uh, diseases as something ra random and rare. It's all around us. And you see pilots uh, crashing the planes and other things. I mean, you never know what kind of suicides one can choose with himself. Mm -hmm. well, you've given us a lot to think about. And um, I just want to say thank you for your time today, your insight, being courageous to, to call in and have this conversation. And certainly, you know how much I love and respect you. I certainly miss being able to spend time with you in person. But it's encouraging to be able to through technology see you halfway around the world and you're you're sitting in your office there and it looks like the sun's out there in uh in moscow and beautiful backyard behind you and i wish it were we were better days where i could uh either have you here at my home and have a, uh, a tennessee barbecue on our back deck or we could be having what, what, what do you have in in russia do you guys have a, a, the south africans have a braai do you guys have a, a braai or barbecue what do you do you have something along those lines there in we, have, 
We have everything, and I'd love to get to this uh, uh, occasion or uh, sooner than later. Do it. So let's start with the vodka and caviar. Let's do it. So. Let's do it. I'll I'll bring the barbecue. Uh, you you bring the vodka and the caviar, and we'll have a a a, ma- a mashup of uh, Russian and American cuisine, and we'll have a great time. We'll we'll solve the world's problems. How about that? Let's do it. And my apologies to your listeners for. Uh, my English is not perfect, uh, you know, and probably I'm one of the first in your podcasts uh, where they have to really kind of figure out what this guy is talking about. But uh, my heart is speaking from, uh, for myself and my heart is for, for peace and my heart is for freedom and people prosper and not die. Well, your heart came out loud and clear, Vadim, and I will tell you that your your English is much better than my Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, people will see one of, one of the, the jokes at uh, in our classes that Vadim looks like uh, James Bond. He is definitely a double o double o seven. He uh, looks like um, oh, who, who's the last one? It's um, what's the what's the guy's Daniel name? Craig. Daniel Craig. Craig. Daniel Craig. Yes, and you are a, a striking image of of him. And so to my my James Bond brother in Moscow, Vadim, I love your brother. Thank you for your time. This has been enjoyable. Um, we've, we've talked about tough issues, uh, but, you know, the, the only way that we solve tough issues is by having tough conversations and uh, people leaning in and trying to, you know, through love and empathy and understanding and building friendship, right? We, we've, we've, got to, we've, we've got to build relationships and friendships and see the world through new uh, other perspectives. Uh, and that's, that's how we can solve some of these things. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing there, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. And thank you again for increasing awareness and uh, uh, deleting this uh, propaganda uh, bias. We, at least between us, uh, business leaders, should stay connected and have conversations, you know, with argument conversations. Absolutely. Well, God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Today's episode was engineered by Mitch White with graphic and marketing by Tristan Dickey. Special thanks to my good friend, Vadim Belikov, for taking time to be with us. Thank you for spending time with us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We look forward to spending time with you again next week.